0: You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Go Wild. If you love hunting, fishing, or just like to be outside, Go Wild is the social media destination for you. You can download this app directly to your smartphone or mobile device just by visiting and searching in the Google Play Store. You can also visit timetogowild.com for more information. It's time to get outside and go wild.
3: Welcome to the For Love of the Land podcast.
4: We're your hosts, Adam Keith and Matt Dye. Each week, we're interviewing guests from across America. They all have one thing in common they all are tied to the land. So if you're like us and you love all things land, welcome home. Well, let's jump right into this. I hope everyone's ready for another For Love of the Land podcast. For sure. Here we I, go. Here yeah, we go. I, I feel
3: a little bit like I just took a time out and you interviewed. Um, all the agents, and uh, just mainly two agents this week. Yep. Um, due to holidays and things like that. Um, and then you interviewed Sean Clarkson, yes. which is coming up. Um, really interesting backstory and history with oh, where man. he's at.
4: Yeah, it, it really is. We, he's a, he's a fellow, um, I guess, citizen of the Old Dominion and in, in Virginia, um, kind of connected through social media. Uh, but has got just a great perspective on a lot of different subjects, um, especially regarding land. Um, what What is the coolest thing about Sean Clarkson is his family's rich heritage, working the land, living off the land and living in Virginia. He He can trace family heritage back to like settlement, like Jamestown, everything. So, his ties to the land, especially that area, is very deep. And, and it's cool to, to talk about, reminisce, um, and get into. And so he kind of sets the stage for that, explains it, but then uh, just has a very good worldly view on a lot of things, So, uh, especially regarding land. And then the land agents, of course I thought it was just right to talk about or, or highlight a property in Virginia, Blue Ridge Mountains, um, kind of the, the, the valleys um, within the Blue Ridge just off the uh, Shenandoah Parkway. And then there's a property from Nebraska that is absolutely incredible. So you guys are going to want to definitely check out those. Um, but if you're ready, we'll hop right into that uh, interview. All righty, this morning I've got... Sean Clarkson from Virginia on the line. Sean, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing fine, man. How are you?
4: I'm doing okay. It's uh, late December. We're not quite getting the cold front that we were hoping for this time of year, but you know what? It's still late December. It's Christmas time, so that means a lot of time with family and friends. Can't complain.
1: That's right.
4: So, wanted to chat with you. We... We've kind of met, honestly, through social media. Um, it's, it's amazing what what social media can do. Um, but kind of have a relationship because you're close to where I grew up in Virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But beyond that, you have such a... You've shared and talked about it, whether it's your uh, blogs that you write or social media posts. But really just ingrained in the state of Virginia. Um, from family history to this... Um, current stage where you're you're just very active and, and uh know of all the things that are happening within the state, especially with the natural resources. Um and you've held positions, jobs and everything throughout, you know, your career that's led you to be able to do that. So I just want to talk today about your connection, family history, career, what you're doing currently. How are you tied to the land? How has that impacted you? So Kick it off. We're just going to let this conversation ride and see where it goes.
1: Well, I appreciate it. And I also want to say that that I'm honored to uh, to have this opportunity to chat with you. Um, this is I, I've been following you all both on social media and through the podcasts and through your your films and such now for a good good amount of time, and I'm quite impressed by what you're doing. I I think I think you're you're passing on the right message. You're trying to get through to people the right way. Uh, and it and it all comes back to, as you've said many times, it comes back to a love of the land. That's uh, it. And so that that's something that you and I have in common. Um, you asked about my family history, uh, and, and Virginia, my family history goes back as long and as far as there has ever been anything called Virginia. Oh boy! I've got several several branches of my family that go back into the sixteen teens, early sixteen twenties. Uh, wow. Here in Virginia. Uh, If I wanted to pay the money, I could be a a member of the Jamestown, and Williamsburg Societies, Um, you know, all those, you you know what I'm talking about. You can get a nice little pen and pay a lot of money for the privilege (laughs) to do so. (laughs) Um, But, you know, taking a look at the the family tree, you know, depending on what branch, my family goes back uh, in various directions from 13 to 20 generations in Virginia. And that's just... That's just the known European ones, not counting incidentals that may may or may not be in there, and no yeah. one can prove it. Um, but, you know, when, when you talk about a connection to the land um, and family roots going back that far, you know, this is— It doesn't uh, get much Virginia. farther than that. No, this Virginia red clay is is pretty well embedded in the bones.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and that was always something that was instilled in me growing up uh by my my parents, my grandparents, my great-grandparents, um aunts, uncles, extended cousins that you know we are part of this land and totally. it is part of us. Um you know, they've been everything from tobacco farmers to carpenters to construction workers um once one branch of my family uh, was so extraordinarily dirt poor that my my grandmother, God rest her soul, uh, one of her favorite foods in the world was hawk,
4: uh, oh, wow
1: because they could eat it. Yeah. Um, and snapping turtle and oh, know, yeah. various other things that we look at today and go, turn your I nose. I ain't up. eating that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I ain't eating that. Yep. Uh, but that's what they did.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, All
1: the you know, and it, and it runs the gamut. So, it, you know, it goes back a long, long way. I grew up I grew up on land that had been owned and or farmed and and grazed and logged and such by generations of my family in that area of Virginia for about well, since about the 1650s, 1650s, early 1660s, before they were supposed to really be
4: there. Yeah, totally. What part of Virginia was that in? And and if you've never been listeners to Virginia, I know it has this just now current days. Um, I don't know, the stigma about it, is, oh, Yankees this and that, and blah, blah, but... <laughs> Virginia we ain't going into that. No, no, we sure ain't <laughs> <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's off podcast topic. <laughs> Let, let's not go down that route. But um, Virginia is yeah. gorgeous. Gorgeous it, state. It really and it offers so much from, from the coast. It's got beach, it's got Chesapeake Bay, it's got so many different rivers that run through it. It's got Piedmont region, it's got mountain region. It truly has everything. Swamps. The Great Dismal Swamp is one of the biggest swamps left. Like it's unbelievable in what it does offer and the resources that are there on the land. So it's cool to be able to talk to you, who who's got family that from, you know, if you will, settlement time frame, uh, first settlers in America to colonize it. Like that's that's crazy.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, my my grandfather, my great grandfather talked about talked about American chestnut trees before the blight hit them, oh. they were, you know, 15, 16 feet thick,
5: mm, uh, mm.
1: you know, hundred plus feet tall, 150 feet tall, you know, and they'd cut those things down with crosscut saws and axes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I can't imagine, you know, trying to run a crosscut saw. If, no, if anybody's ever done that, they understand how difficult that thing is. And mm, now trying mm-hmm. to cut down a tree that's uh, cut down a tree that's as, as as thick through as a, an extended cab pickup is long. Yeah. You know, to kind of put it in context. Uh, but you're right. I mean, I, I don't... I kind of do want to promote it, but I was kind of sitting there thinking to myself like, hush now. Don't tell everybody. <laughs> but Virginia really is a, a, a phenomenal state. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, goes from sea level up to about 5,000 feet, a little bit over yep. 5,000 feet at Mount Rogers. Um, but it's a... You know, where I grew up was was just about the geographic center of the state, mm-hmm. uh, actually just a touch west of that. If folks look at a map, um, I was, you know, raised up in, in Nelson County, Virginia. So if they find Charlottesville on a map, which is kind of at the intersections of Interstate 81 and 64, if they go due south from that intersection uh, of I-64 and I-81, Um, There's a little diamond-shaped county right to the south of it, and that little diamond-shaped county is Nelson County. Mm -hmm. So I was born and raised there, but, you know, the roots go back to Spotsylvania County, uh, where I I now live. Um, The northern neck, middle peninsula, down through Jamestown, uh, out the, the James River Basin. Uh, My grandfather's people are from Appomattox, um, within walking distance of the Surrender Grounds there.
4: My sister lives five miles from there right now. Yep, sure does.
1: Off off, uh, podcast, we'll talk about some folks that I'm sure she knows. Probably. Um, (laughs) um, Another branch of the family uh, were were Swiss and German furniture makers and gun makers that that came down the Shenandoah Valley and actually... uh, fought in the revolutionary war um so it was you know it's it's a it's a it's an amazing state uh uh-huh. and it is a and as you know you're talking about the connection to the land it is a a richly diverse state and that's one of the things that just i've always been naturally curious so uh-huh. growing up where i was my grandfather made sure that i knew what every tree was and, and some yep. of the uses for pretty much all the trees that grew around the house by the time I was really, by the time I started school, mm-hmm. uh, I could identify oaks and various types of oaks and poplars and tell the differences in pines and such. And that's just what we did. We were always outside, um, you know, and then from that, it went to, went to the animals and went to birds. And then as I started to travel around the state, I, you know, I'd come out to the Eastern part of the state and, There'd be trees out here. I hadn't seen yeah. sweet gums and, mm-hmm. um, you know, swamp oaks and hollies, which we didn't have too much of. And then I'd go further West and I'd go into the mountains and you'd start getting into some of the spruces and different birches and different things that, you know, we didn't have at the house. So, you know, I got curious from there and that curiosity just, you know, once you, once you start pulling on one string in that Gordian knot, you
4: know, oh, <laughs> so yeah. you just
1: figure out how far it goes and, how many different things are all tied to it,
4: and that's that's the absolute incredible thing. Is very similar, basically, upbringing and just that continual curiosity. But what's amazing as as we look and and it kind of ties perfectly into really the the state of Virginia and, and truly diversity across states. You know, it is uh, every state's diverse, but all the different systems that whether it's a riparian area whether it is the mountain region whether it is what used to be the the plains in the Shenandoah Valley and then the the piedmont like and then the swamp land on mm-hmm. the east side of the state mm-hmm. each system is so complex in what it does for the land and heals and repairs and this and that mm-hmm. like it's so all intertwined seriously from from the the ecosystems of the mountains all the way to the coast which is what do you think 300 miles or so in some oh, some no, portion no, state
1: no 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 if you drove from if you drove from lee county to oh lee if you drove yeah. from lee to Acomac, uh you're looking
4: That's at a 7 hour trip at least
1: no you're probably looking at more like 11 11 yeah i'd say Ooh. so it, 9 at a, 9 at a you know at a minimum cuz you figure that it's you know, from well let's just say Virginia Beach to Richmond is two. From Richmond to Charlottesville is another two. From Charlottesville to Roanoke is three. So you're at there seven you right there. You know, you're at seven in it. And Lee County is a long, long
4: way from Roanoke. And so, for for perspective, so if you don't know Virginia, where Lee and Acomac is, Lee is the very bottom left corner of the state. It's kind of a triangular, elongated triangle. As very left, all the way to the coast. So you're, you're. It is a long, long way. So, uh, you know, I believe
1: Lee County is actually further west. Don't quote me on this. It's either further west or almost as far west as Chicago. Wow. And if it's if it's pretty close one way or the other, it may be a little bit further west. But it's a long way out there.
4: It is. I'm going to look at that. You know, yeah.
1: When, yeah. When you when you think about, uh, you know, you were talking about the ecosystems and the changes to them in the state. This state, at one point, you know, in the in the late 1600s to mid 1700s, was stripped bare.
4: Mm-hmm. There was
1: pretty much no trees. Yeah, uh, from from coast to mm, the other side of the Shenandoah Valley, what at that point in time was quote unquote Indian country. Yep, it was it was denuded of trees, and then they all grew back. Yep. Uh you know, the area that that uh, you called home and grew up in, and I live in right now. Uh, was the site of a lot of battles in the, in the Civil War that were described as the wilderness because it had grown up so thick that it was just a, a vegetative disaster. Oh, yeah. And then it was stripped bare again when the chestnut uh, blight came through and when the Industrial Revolution ramped up. They were taking most of the bark actually for, for hide tanning. So it was stripped bare again, except for minor pockets, the dismal swamp, because it, man, nobody's nobody's going in going there. In long. Long. <laughs> you ain't going in there long. Uh, and then a few places in the mountains where you know it was just so high and craggy, and pretty much all you had is these little stunted table mountain pines that aren't aren't anything for for lumber or for wood. You know, it was it's been stripped bare a couple of times and and grown back and grown back beautifully.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I, because I think of, you know, all the techno- technological advances and, and really through, if you will, the birth of the U.S., a lot of it originated right there in Virginia. So the land has taken, you know, a lot of abuse over the time um, since we have settled it. But like you said, it's come back and, and goes back to, to the nature and tied to the land. Is it's It's repaired itself. And not all... You know, in, in the best form and shape, there's places that are like, ooh, what, what happened here? But <laughs> yeah, I it it's I know still a few of those. yeah. It still has the ability to change and wear so many different hats, you know, through time. Well,
1: and it also goes, I think, to the fact that so many people in this area, as with most other areas in in and the US and, and I presume other places as well, have a love of the land. Yeah. It's home to them. Um, and one of the jobs I recently had was with a, a conservation organization here in, in Virginia and we spent a lot of time dealing with with farmers um, mm-hmm. trying to educate them on best management practices different grazing patterns and uh, understanding soil chemistries and, and and various things that you know really don't get passed down or haven't been passed down prior and we hope that they will be um, and anyone that's dealt with a with a multi generational farm family understands that they're 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 conservative by nature because risk is is scary,
5: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and it can it can jeopardize everything. And you know they're kind of obstinate. and I mean, I love them. It's it's my heritage.
5: Yeah,
1: but they're obstinate and kind of cranky. And but once you get to the point to where you understand them and they understand that you are trying to help them care for the one thing that they love more than uh, as much as their family, which is their land. Then, then, then you're on common ground.
4: 100%. And that, that's then goes right there to, to why we're doing this podcast, because that's ultimately what we want to find is that common ground, something that, you know, your story right now is going to resonate with someone else. You know, where is that common ground? And and again, like we talked about the very, very beginning, it all comes back to the land. We've all used it, it in different ways. We've all, you know, lived off of it. We've all hunted it. We've all fished it. Found different ways to recreate on it. Um, it doesn't really matter, but we all have ties to it somehow. So, so what are those ties? And if we get back to and understand what those ties are, hey, we're all we have a connection. Let, let's let's base a relationship off of that. Let's let's talk about that. Let's meet meet that common ground. And I think that's that's what builds great relationships
1: we do we do and that's that's one of the things i currently I, i'm no longer in the conservation world or not currently in the conservation world at this point let's put it that way uh but i spend as much time outside as i can i always have because mm-hmm. to me that's that's where my connection is um one of my favorite uh musicians is a guy named jj J. gray and there's an intro to a live track that he's talking about his favorite place in the world and, you know, he's basically saying, well, you know, I was talking about this and one of my friends said, well, you just go there to escape reality. And he says, well, I thought, yeah. And he said, then I thought a little more about it. And he's like, no, Hoss, that's where I go, back, go to get to reality mm-hmm. and escape all these problems that we create for ourselves. And that's to me, that's exactly it. You know, you step outside and minutes and seconds and emails and texts and hours melt away you operate totally. on sunrise sunset you operate on seasons you operate on the weather patterns and that's for me that's always been a, a grounding mm-hmm. um and it's something that i'm trying to pass on to my daughters yeah um uh, it's something i try to pass on i volunteer as a hunter education instructor and i, I try to volunteer that way so i can give back to the Certainly. hunting and conservation community but also so i can I can do my part to hope that other people uh, reconnect that way. Um I am trying to mentor several um younger hunters, mm-hmm. younger outdoorsmen on on their understanding of it and their passion to get outside. Uh and I'm attempting, um maybe successfully, maybe maybe not, to communicate to folks through, you know, social media and through blogs and such like that, you know what it is I see yeah and why it's important uh, and and don't get me wrong I, I don't know it all I don't I, I don't even I, I don't believe I've even scratched the surface I mean there's I some don't think any of us' I'm have. pretty solid in yeah you know wildlife biology and ecology for certain species I'm fairly good on um, other things like mycology, all I know is that is a mushroom <laughs> and that's, that's as far into yeah. it as it goes at this point. Um, But it's, you know, it's, there's always something to learn. And, and I think that is, if I can help other people connect to the land here in Virginia, or figure out, oh, okay, well, maybe this, maybe it's the same for him there as it is for me here, or something like that, and connect to where they are. um, That's, that's a passion of mine. And I really hope that I'm, you know, one of the things I hope I'm successful in in life is, is that.
4: Definitely, definitely. And one of the things that you said there, Sean, that kind of resonated with me what was the, I guess the, if you will, the lack of control that we have when we have an outdoor lifestyle. And I say that what I mean by that is is you you do base you know activities and time spent outside based on sunrise sunset. Like there's a there's a beginning and there's an end, and and then what you do in that time frame is then you know. Uh, Dictated on weather conditions, usually we don't like that that control in our life. But really, that's something that we can't change. So it's almost comforting, if you will, by just having that outdoor lifestyle and being out there. You just you're a part of it, and you're you're totally okay with out having that control. And I, it's 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 so different from from so many people's lifestyles nowadays, where they never turn the phone off they never turn emails off they're always available but again that land and that just natural instinct to go out and enjoy it it just puts you in a different place in your mind it's crazy
1: it does it does and you know if you're if you're a hunter and an outdoorsman especially one that's been outside for extended periods of time you understand very quickly that control is an illusion Mm-hmm. that that you go ahead in that next step, there could be a log that's going to roll under there. Yeah. Or it could, you know, or a stick's going to break. Or, you know, it could be something that bites. It might be a yellow jacket's nest. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, well, the next time the wind shifts, it could be the temperature could go up or down 25 degrees. Might yep. be raining, might be sunny. You have no control over any of that. The only thing that you can do is react to it and react with it.
3: That's exactly And I right. think
1: that is, you know, that's the important part. Once I started figuring out that, that my reactions had to be with and not against,
5: mm-hmm.
1: you know, it really opened things up for me. And, and it's something that I try, fail, but try to, to bring into my, my everyday life as well. Um, and it is really something that, that I think for kids today, especially is, is ever more important, you know, put the phone down, uh, come on, let's get outside. Go get dirty. Yeah, um,
5: it's
4: okay you know, to I be heard, dirty,
1: right? Yeah, In fact it's a awesome thing to be dirty. Yeah, you know, I heard Shane Mahoney talk about the fact that you could put all the greatest toys in the world in a in a room with children from all over the world, or various different cultures, not even speaking the same language, and they they find the toys and they figure out how to play with them. But you bring a puppy or a frog into that room, and they are all going to be focused on mm-hmm. that. Yep. And we forget that. You know, it's because we are drawn to this natural world and the things around us. And that's, that's, it's innate in all of us. For Truly. some people, we don't, we don't want to turn it off. And others, I think you've forgotten they could ever turn it on.
4: I think yeah. Some of them just haven't even been exposed to that type of world, that natural world, and, and don't even know what it holds and they've been so, if you will, sheltered from that and and ingrained in, you know, technology that they don't even know how to react to it. And that's sad to from a from a guy who grew up in that just natural world, always outside. That's sad to see and something needs to be done
1: where i work right now um i brought in some some soup that i'd made recently um hank shaw's recipe Mm -hmm. people don't know who hank shaw is he's going to change your culinary experience (laughs) honest-food.net trust me um and i brought in his uh, it was a a asian uh, inspired soup Mm -hmm. and man is it good And I had one of my coworkers. go, oh, what is that? And I'm describing it and say, oh, what's in it?
4: Mm -hmm. There's that question.
1: (laughs) And there was this hesitation of, do I say what's actually in this Mm -hmm. or not? Um, But there was enough of an understanding that I said, well, you know, it's it's squirrel.
5: Mm -hmm.
1: And there was a very long, uncomfortable pause for a moment i'm thinking well this may not go as well as i had hoped yeah um but in the end it was a really i never knew that you could eat. i was like oh man look hey this is a culinary delight mm-hmm. and i got them to, to try a spoonful yeah and yeah. The, the reaction was oh wow that's really good i said well you know don't thank me. Thank, thank Mr. Shaw for a recipe. I just didn't mess it up putting it together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, then the, the question was, well, I don't think I'm ready to to do squirrel yet, but do you think this recipe could be made with other things? And, and are there other recipes? Mm-hmm. And food is a huge door opener. Oh, if you can, incredible. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you can get someone to try uh, a, a venison beef mix yep. in hamburger, or in a sausage, or try a venison stew, or wild turkey breast, wild mm-hmm. turkey parmesan, recently oh. had that, really good. Um, you know, th- there are all kinds of ways that you can open the door that way and then start talking about how important the food is and then how important the land and the habitat and everything else is to produce that. Um, it's, a, it's a, you know, it's a universal uh, language food
4: it totally is. Uh,
1: you know but it's it's a it's an interesting door opener and i think as especially as hunters and conservationists we need to do a better job of presenting ourselves and what we do and why mm-hmm. to a broader community not lie about what we do or cover it up i mean sure. i've been a, you know, had people say that and eh, it's not about that. Uh-uh. You know, I, I love the animals I hunt. I love the fish I catch. If I didn't, I'd quit doing it. I just sure. simply go to the store and buy something because it's a whole lot less effort.
4: Mm, yeah, yeah. And money. <laughs>
1: but you know, once, if we can start getting that through to people that we love this land, we love the habitat, we love the animals. And we want to see things managed a different way for the benefit of all of these things. Not because I want to go out and shoot grouse. I don't even hunt grouse. Mm -hmm. But I want to see grouse back. I've never taken a shot at a quail in my life. And Mm -hmm. if anybody's ever seen me shoot with a shotgun, that's probably (laughs) one of the safest species out there. Would be something like a quail because that doesn't work.
4: But you'd still love to see a cubby rise.
1: Oh, I I saw when I grew up, we still had a few quail.
4: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: And then they vanished. They went away. Uh, I was living down in Greensboro, North Carolina for a while, driving around for business and was in Southside, Virginia. This was about about 10 years ago now. And a covey of quail blew up in front of my truck. I stopped. I have no idea whether I even went on that business appointment or not. I couldn't tell you to this day whether (laughs) I went on that business appointment But I stopped and I called my wife and I was in tears Mm -hmm. because I had seen quail and it meant that much to me. And it Mm -hmm. still chokes me up today. Yeah. She'll be the first one Mm -hmm. to tell you the day that they reintroduced elk into Virginia.
5: Mm -hmm. I was
1: in tears. I was so happy that we had been able to put that back. Yeah. That was awesome. You know. And I may never get a chance to hunt one. I hope so. Sure. In Virginia?
4: Absolutely. Oh man, yeah.
1: But to be able to put that back and to do that as sportsmen and to do that as conservationist to me means more than I know how to express.
4: Well, that's that's the thing of it. it. You know, yeah, you might not ever be able to hunt them, but that joy is still going to be there. And you don't have to look through okay. a scope with crosshairs on it to enjoy that animal or to enjoy the fact that they're back um, or to, to see habitat be created or managed in a way that's going to support that that all is part of it it goes back to like that comparison of of the ecosystems and they're all working together it's the same thing all that is to to the benefit of elk or the reintroduction of elk or to you know the habitat to support quail it's all part yep. of it and we have to find that enjoyment and and that connection with that piece of the puzzle basically mm-hmm. if we if Absolutely. we can all do that and, we, and we're all going to enjoy different pieces of the puzzle as you know, owners of the land, people who enjoy the land, whether you yeah, hunt public ground or hunt private ground, it does not matter. Find something you enjoy that's connected to the land and I promise you we as people will be better connected.
1: That's correct. And you know, one of the things that you know I wanna touch on because you know, we, we have created these arbitrary divisions in and amongst conservationists, hunters, anglers, yeah. trappers. Oh well I only hunt I only hunt deer. I only hunt elk. I'm a this hunter. I'm a that hunter. I'm a public land hunter. I'm a this hunter. <sighs> drop all that stuff. Dro- just drop it. Mm-hmm. You know, the, you know the the concept that oh well, we have to we have to have these types of lands in order to hunt and trap and fish. No, we have to hunt, trap, and fish in order to have any of the lands. Yeah. You go to you go to a state like Texas. There's almost no public land. They hunt Mm -hmm. a lot. You go to South Africa, there's no public land. They hunt a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, you go to other places in the world where there is hunting and there is land that is protected, that is managed, that is well cared for. And there is wildlife. You go to places where there is no hunting and it is the exact opposite. You have nothing or very, very little, Mm -hmm. you know, minute pockets of it left. So, you know, we've got to do a better job of of dropping all these divisions in and amongst ourselves and saying okay i'm a i'm a sportsman or woman yep which means i hunt trap fish whatever i I may not do it all i may not even trap which i don't currently Mm -hmm. i don't duck hunt but i'm going to support the people that do trap that do duck hunt And I need them to support me. I don't currently run hounds for deer or for bear, but I'm supporting the people that do because they're important for the rest of us. If we protect them by doing that, we protect all of us and we protect the land and we're helping manage it better because that's where the funding comes from. That's where the focus comes from. That's where the passion comes from. We lose that. We lose it all.
4: I I totally agree. Totally agree. We're, we're, I'm gonna get oh. off my soapbox. <laughs> well, it, it's a it's a fine line between between all that because I I don't think truthfully we've all maybe been educated enough on um, how interconnected we the system is and the way it's designed um, to support all of this and if I think if we were better educated on it we we'd wise um, we'd get wise real quick on on the what we're doing as a society of hunters and, and and then again just anybody who enjoys the land
1: absolutely absolutely you know i mean it, it, if a if a bird if a birder is concerned about a, a, in a long slate of species here in virginia for mm-hmm. example I'll, I'll just bring that up goldwing warblers cerulean warblers grouse you know, and, and, and so many more birds are not one of my strong suits, but there are a long, long list of birds Huge. in Virginia that are struggling because we don't properly manage the habitat. Yep. If they're concerned about those birds, they have the yep. same desires and the same concerns as people who grouse hunt, as people who deer hunt, as people who bear hunt. You know, okay, great. We may not agree on a large number of things that's fine it's okay to disagree what we do agree on is this habitat needs to be managed in certain ways in order to benefit a lot of different things and that's the you know and fortunately here in virginia there's a there's a collective called the virginia uh wildlife habitat coalition Mm -hmm. that is trying to pull together a lot of stakeholder groups to work together on things and a a dear friend of mine's name is wayne thacker has been doing a lot of heavy lifting and and really getting people to talk about things sit around the table together and and hopefully uh we're able to move that ball forward a little bit further and a little bit faster um uh, because it it needs to happen so and there are there are unsung heroes like wayne all over the place you oh, know truthfully. people that aren't on social media they aren't on facebook they're just rolling up their sleeves and getting things done yep. behind the scenes not for any praise or notoriety, but just because it's the right thing to do.
4: Yeah, and it, yeah, it's not. It's not just Virginia; it's all across the country. People are doing that yep. nose to the grindstone, just doing what they do because because of again, it goes right back to that connection to the land. And you you brought up a good point there, Sean. Like, and it kind of reminded me of of a, a life lesson. Honestly, um, I of course grew up big time hunter, but went to college, studied. Um, biology with a concentration in wildlife management, had a teacher. Um, she taught genetics as well as her passion. Absolute passion mm-hmm. was ornithology. And so she taught ornithology as well. Um, great lady. She did not hunt. Of course, I was a hunter. I loved to waterfowl hunt um, So and turkey hunt. If there was quail, I'm sure I would have chased them. But I loved birds. She loved birds. And even though she didn't Necessarily hunt or think that it was a hundred percent, you know, for her. We found common ground in the fact that hey, you love birds, I love birds, I want to know everything about them. So do you. Let let's study them. We studied them and had incredible conversations as a hunter and a non-hunter. But we found, you know, connection there with birds, wild birds yeah. doing their thing. Yeah
1: absolutely and and when i went back to college i i studied the same things you did pretty much when i went to school the first time and then i wasn't mature enough for it um so i i I needed some time off and go grow up which i did enough Mm -hmm. at least went back to school and and a a dear friend of mine um he does not hunt or did not hunt at that time uh but was really interested in sustainable agriculture and developed a sustainable ag program he and I had great conversations about the importance of the land, the soil, how all of that interconnected to, to the vegetation and the habitats, what that, you know, the, the microclimatic changes that could be made because of certain vegetation and how that influenced certain species. And yeah, I mean, you sit down, I'm totally geek out on things, oh, I mean, yeah. it's, 100%. <laughs> but yeah. it's, it's those types of conversations that, I think people don't don't understand can happen. I mean if you really want to there's another great friend of mine Steve Nicely who's a who's a retired construction worker um and has been a bear hunter for 52 years. I don't know many people at all including trained PhD bear biologists that mm-hmm. know more about bear than he does. But if you're interested in bear and you can go find a bear hunter like him you can sit down and totally geek out on the biology and the ecology uh-huh. of bear and what they do and why they do it, and how they do it, some of the things that he's seen. And those are the conversations that, you know, these arbitrary divisions, especially within the sporting community are, they're preventing. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, if I'm only talking about public lands. Well, the land doesn't care. Nope, the land doesn't see a uh, you know, a boundary sign that the, the wildlife can't read boundary signs. Yep. They don't care. You know, how is the private land being managed that also impacts the public and vice versa? What's the habitat? What's the wildlife population doing? What does it need? Yep. You know, how you really want to have an in-depth conversation about wildlife? Go talk to a trapper.
4: Mm-hmm. They've
1: got to understand their animals now to the point of the, where they know which foot is going to land in a two-inch square two-inch circle
4: those are people who know the land
1: they know the land they can read the land like mm-hmm. a book yep and it's we're we're losing that information in and amongst ourselves and we're losing it as far as being able to translate that and and, and tell that story to the broader community
4: yep that's i could not agree more on that at all it's just it's wild it, it certainly is wild but um well, it's crazy how fast 30, 30 minutes goes. <laughs> and we could talk. Yeah. We, we could record this forever. Honestly, <laughs> maybe maybe, yeah. maybe we're just gonna have to. We'll get Adam on, and, and we'll we'll maybe add on another guest, and it'll just be marathon conservation, hunting heritage talk. If I can
1: just, suggest another, if I can suggest another guest for that, we're we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna square up the Sean's Ooh, if okay. I can suggest another guest for that, I'm going to suggest Sean Curran, Sean um, Curran. with uh, with Sportsman's Alliance. Um, I've Sean heard that is name
4: come a, out a couple times now.
1: Yeah, I, I'll make the intro for you. He is a consummate conservationist, passionate hunter, uh, and just gets it. I mean, yeah. it, this is—he's the type of person that will sit down and have a conversation with folks and in a two-way conversation you know learning and mm-hmm. listening as much or more than he's talking so that he can understand how best to to engage with them and how best to help and help them and present conservation in the right way uh just a a, a great great friend and I'm I'm honored to know him uh, I learn a lot from him um he, he's also a far better photographer than I will probably ever be <laughs>
4: That's what I, I don't have that skill set. I I just don't.
1: Yeah, yeah. it's a, I, I, I look at the um, Inspector Harry Callahan, Clint Eastwood, uh, logic man's yeah. got to know his man's got to know his limitations.
4: That's it. That's that's one of it.
1: mine. You know, dancing can't do that either. I'd, uh,
4: I'd like to think <laughs> I could.
1: Uh, no, see, I'm even smart enough to know that I I, I shouldn't even have that thought. <laughs>
4: Oh, that is funny. Well, Sean, but yeah, let's
1: let's do that. Yeah. Let's do that. I'll uh, I'll make the introduction to uh, to my friend, Mister Curran. Uh, you get you get Adam on here, uh, and who knows, we may actually get us all in the same spot at some point.
4: That's that's so true. That's so true. Well, sounds good, man. I certainly appreciate your time this morning, and I hope everyone um, listening is able to take something away from it. And and ultimately is. Hey, there's passion in in people um, who who enjoy the land. There's passion in all different uh, backgrounds. It, it doesn't it doesn't matter. We're, we're all just coming together, focused around land, and that's something that we can we can certainly do and carry into the future with with relationships. So, Sean, thank you very much. We we certainly appreciate it. My pleasure. Okay, next on the line, we've got Jason from Nebraska. Jason, how are you doing this morning?
6: Doing good, doing good, Matt. How are you doing?
4: I'm doing all right. So I've already stated your name, but tell us who who you are and who you're with.
6: Yeah, I'm Jason Shent, and I'm with Whitetail Properties Real Estate, and uh, I cover northeast, north-central Nebraska, as well as a little bit of western Nebraska, and uh, South Dakota for Whitetail Properties.
4: Holy cow. That's a lot of land to cover. A
6: lot of miles, a lot of miles on the pickup.
4: That's absolutely right. So the pickup is basically a mobile office then.
6: It is. It's a it's a big rolling office and uh it, it shows every time a client gets in, I uh, got to move the computer and the bags around. Uh Yep. But that's life on the road.
4: That that's it. That's how you're able to cover that much ground. So did did you grow up in in this area or did you kind of migrate out there over time?
6: Uh, grew up in Papillion, Nebraska. I was actually a uh, battalion chief for the Papillion Fire Department and worked there for about 15 years. Okay. And uh, kind of worked my way in with Whitetail Properties and uh, and with them full time now uh, for for the area.
4: Fantastic. So today you've got a an incredible property, um, and it caught our eye because. This past September, Adam and I spent some time um, in Western Nebraska and drove through a small town. It's like, oh man, this place is beautiful along the the North Platte River. Like, this is just cool. It just kind of hit us. And then, and we look on a map, and sure enough, the property you're going to talk about today is is a mile from Llewellyn, the town of Llewellyn. So, you take the ball and run with it. Tell us all about this property because it seems, from what I can tell, to be absolutely incredible.
6: Yeah, this uh, is a definite one-of-a-kind property uh, in western Nebraska, and it actually uh, adjoins the town of Llewellyn um, uh, with some of its crop fields. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yes, it's along the famed North Platte River and uh, is located... Uh, the, I think the most unique thing about this property is that it is a part of the Garden County Refuge. Okay. Um, which what that means is basically 110 yards from each from the center point of that river is a sanctuary for wildlife Uh and it's a it's a no hunting zone so what this does uh, well first of all this was created back in 1925 it's all still privately owned land um, and they came up with this uh, this border to go up and down the river for the refuge uh, to allow for a, a giant sanctuary for roosting waterfowl sure um and so the two main things that this has done is one it's kept hunting off the river which uh if any of us have hunted a, a river that does not have a sanctuary or a refuge um you have the potential to be stacked on top of one another with your neighbors uh, either sure. next to you or across from the river and uh, we know how frustrating that can sometimes get so with, with this property, you definitely do not have those worries uh, with this no hunting zone um, that falls within this, this refuge. Um, so obviously with this no hunting, uh, the waterfowl have a great roost uh, up and down the river and it's uh, warm water sloughs. And then, you know, the whitetails as well have an area that, uh, you know, is just thick, tangly, nasty river bottom stuff that uh, allows them to, to grow into big, mature deer.
5: Mm-hmm
6: uh so yeah it's a very unique unique area Uh, this particular property uh was designed and set up uh to still allow obviously for the no hunting along the river Uh, but the warm water sloughs and they're not just warm water sloughs they're flowing warm water sloughs um that were set up and designed um, to hunt uh hunt mallards i mean that was Mm -hmm. the ultimate goal and uh so they've got custom pit blinds um all piped for heat and uh, very comfortable blinds Um, the water in the sloughs is able to be uh, adjusted and planted uh, you know for some forage for the for the birds and uh, and then again raised back up when when it's time to let the birds start piling in Um, so not only do you have three warm water slough Blinds to choose from. There's also two field blinds um, okay. that are set up in the irrigated corn and alfalfa fields.
4: Okay. Uh, so how, I mean, how many it's... tillable acres are on it? And irrigated, yeah. I believe. Is that right?
6: Yes, sir. They're they're irrigated, and uh, there are a, t- a total of almost 170 acres. Wow. And two center pivots cover those fields. Gotcha. So, um, obviously, the number one thing that that this property offers is the unparalleled. Uh, fantastic waterfowl hunting. Um, But being along the North Flat River and not too far uh, from Lake McConaughey, which is Nebraska's, uh, one of Nebraska's largest lakes, um, the whitetail that roam this river bottom uh, are pretty exceptional. Great genetics.
4: I'm looking through pictures right now, and it is extremely impressive, and, and we kind of mentioned it right there um, before we started to record, just the the famous, you know, awe of the North Platte River, you look at like historical information, you know, they need, they used to just be kind of thoroughfares for trappers and travelers and stuff, but the wildlife use them just as much to travel, whether it's migrating ducks, geese, um, and whitetails just running up and down the riverbanks, like, that is a incredible habitat and ecosystem and it seems like kind of the infrastructure and the way it's been hunted and laid out in the past is um taking full advantage of that
6: well yeah and i mean not only the the whitetails and and the waterfowl but i mean that portion of nebraska has giant elk um, which a lot of people don't realize uh, that nebraska's got a great elk population and there's some big bulls um and, you know, upland hunting, pheasant, quail, grouse, um, you know, it, it's all there. So there, there's a lot to do up and down that stretch of river.
4: There's always something to hunt or chase during the fall. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Keep you busy. That's exactly right. So what, Um, h- how close is it to, you know, some bigger cities and, and, or is it way out in the middle of nowhere?
6: Well, I mean, it's three hours from Denver. Mm-hmm. Um so you know, uh, it, it's not that far from a large city. Yep. Um, but uh, it, it's like I said, it's located just south of Llewellyn. It actually borders it, and uh, there is a 4,700-foot runway uh, located just 15 minutes away at the Oshkosh Airport. So uh, you know that that airport's capable of handling you know King Airs and Lears and Citations. Um, so easy easy place to uh fly into and uh you know get get out and get hunting right away uh north Platte's about an hour and a half away Mm -hmm. and uh um you know there's there's sydney as well uh which has the cabelas um about an hour and a half as well so
4: And, and and what about um a place to stay on the property is is there a lodge or is there a cabin
6: there's currently nothing on the property okay. um you know there's electricity mm-hmm. at uh on two sides of the property so if somebody wanted to add something uh they certainly could there are a couple of nice little uh lodges or motels uh right there in Llewellyn so you're literally two minutes away from the property. right and uh, uh so it's very handy and convenient if somebody doesn't want the overhead or the expense or having to have the upkeep, you know, sure. with a, with a lodge, Absolutely. this one provides that.
4: And so when you look at total acres and price, will break that down for us.
6: Yeah. So there's a, uh, total of 526.8 acres, uh, asking price is 3,750,000. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, this is, uh, it's one of those properties that, that truly has to be appreciated. Um, and you have to step foot on it to appreciate it. Definitely. Uh, no, no amount of pictures, no amount of video work can truly show, uh, how this place can hunt and how it's set up, uh, to be able to hop in your pickup truck and drive to each of the blinds along this river, um, is, is a, is a huge asset in and of itself. Um, I don't know of any other places along the river that, uh, uh, are this accessible and this well sure. thought out and, and designed. Um, so I I'd say that, uh, it's definitely something that a guy has got to get out on and, and lay eyes on to truly appreciate.
4: No doubt. No doubt. And, and what about the, um, with the, the center pivots and everything, the tillable ground, is that being rented out right now? And, and what's the ability to, for, you know, cash rent if someone was, you know, non-resident and, um, had a, had a local farmer on it. Yeah. The way
6: it's being handled now, um, may not be ideal for everybody, but it's, uh, it's being rented out on a crop share. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, there's a lot of extras that go with the agreement that's in place right now. The current tenant is helping take care of the property, uh, keep eyes on the property and keep it maintained. Um, so there's a lot of variables to that. Uh, but yeah, somebody, if they just wanted the, the income from it, they could cash rent it. Uh, you know, or they could crop share it or custom farm it, however they choose. Um, but it's, uh, it's in a year to year agreement, uh, for the time being, sure. um, the, the person that developed the property and built it, uh, is also still in the area and, uh, is willing to assist in maintaining the property, uh, for the new owner, um, as well as helping them you know run into if they so choose uh, definitely not a requirement but sure. if somebody's just looking for the spot to show up uh, a few times a year and, and they want to turn key place and um, you know want to do nothing but hunt it uh, this is that that's a possibility as well
4: fantastic well, Jason, how do they get a hold of you? I'll have links and and, and maps and everything in the show notes so uh, this this truly I know they they don't do it justice, but it's still amazing to look at on on an aerial and go through these photos. Um, but how do they get in touch with you if they're interested? Yeah,
6: yeah, I can be reached by email um, at Jason at WhitetailProperties dot com, or go to whitetailproperties.com dot uh, com and look me up. Um, that this property can also be found on their uh, whitetailproperties.com. dot com with uh, click on Nebraska and then Garden County, and you'll see it. Uh, there's a real nice, uh, video done up of it. Uh, a lot of good drone, uh, footage taken and, uh, yeah, take a look at the commercial on the, uh, website and, uh, um, I can be reached at 402-707-4885 for anybody's needs in Nebraska or South Dakota.
4: Fantastic. Well, we appreciate you highlighting this property today on the For Love Land podcast. Um, if you got any more, let us know. We'd be happy to talk with you. Appreciate your time I'm, today, Jason. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate it. You bet. Bye. All right. Next on the line, I've got Adam from Virginia. I thought it would only be perfect if we interviewed a land agent who's got property in Virginia. We talked with Sean earlier in the podcast all about Virginia, and the rich history his family's had in Virginia. And just the importance that really Virginia's had in in the history of the country um, and then the different ways people have used land in that state since settlement. So anyhow, Adam, thank you for coming on the podcast today. Appreciate it. Tell us a little bit about yourself and the brokerage you work for.
2: Well, thank you for uh, having me on. Um, my name's Adam Barosa, and I work with Sherry Woodard Realty. We are a boutique brokerage uh, in the heart of the Piedmont. We really focus on that, you know, beautiful Blue Ridge Mountain land um, in Rappahannock County, Fauquier County, Madison, Culpeper. Um, so these great areas that you have the magnificent vistas of the Blue Ridge Mountains, and it's you know. Good farming land and just uh, really a beautiful area that's pretty close to the we call it the DMV DC Maryland Virginia area. So um, for people who want to get away from the blast zone and yeah, see what real country life is like.
4: Now you guys service an, an absolutely incredible area, and it, it kind of hits home a little bit for me, honestly. Um, Fauquier County, we had a a family farm in that county, and I. I grew up in Stafford, but we did so much in, in that area, and then um, or just before we started recording, Adam, I was, we were talking about this property sits almost the direct route that I would take to go from my home growing up to college, and it, it just kind of looking back through these pictures, it's its kind of crazy. It's like, man, that, that just used to be you know, the old stomping grounds for me, but then my mind still traces back to the conversation that Sean and I had about how... This area of the country and the state is, is beautiful. But way back when, before settlement, it didn't look like this. It wasn't these little fragmented farms that all kind of pieced together. It was these vast prairies in, in the valleys um, that led up into massive stands of, of chestnut trees that no longer are there. And it, It's changed. The view has changed over time yet it's still beautiful. And it still just captures your eye. And, and like you said, you're in a very picturesque portion of the state out of the hustle and bustle of D.C. And you guys have got some awesome listings. This is one one of many. Um, I think it's titled General Banks. Can you tell us a little bit about that property and uh, exactly where it's located?
2: Sure. Uh, General Banks is, is it's a stunning piece of land. It's 162.7 acres, and it's in an area called Graves Mill. And some of your listeners may have heard of Graves Mountain Lodge. Mm-hmm. Um, they do a real neat bluegrass festival and all that. And that's sort of Graves Mountain is on the northern side of the um, area, and the southern side is Graves Mill. And it's this real beautiful valley that um, sort of dead ends up in it, uh, not sort of it does dead up dead end up in the national park okay. um, and if a little bit to the west of it you can also get up into the rapid and wildlife management area and as you probably know you know there's a lot of rules for what you can and can't do in the national park sure. and the wildlife management area is a great place to go and fish and hunt and just really um enjoy nature in a different way so sure. uh It's all sort of at your fingertips at this neat piece of property, Um, and and it's really nice. It starts at the Rapidan River, which is uh, great. It's a heritage trout stream, so um, we've got a bunch of them in Madison County. You've got the Rapidan, you've got the Robinson, the Rose, and the Hughes River sort of bounces between Rappahannock and Madison, but for any anglers out there, um, these are really good trout streams are actually stocked by the Department of Game and Inland Fisheries. So Uh uh, lots of great fishing and hunting and all that good stuff. Um, But this land is really neat. Um, Probably the most fascinating part, to me at least, is there's a lot of um, it's called scenic easements, and and I'll explain that real briefly. Um, As you know, There's something that you can do. It's called land use. If you're using your land for agricultural purposes, the county will actually tax the land at a lower rate. Uh But what happens is each year you have to prove that you're using it for those agricultural purposes, Um, and whether that's a farmer haying it or somebody running cattle on it or whatever it is, every year you have to file the affidavit. And life is good as long as you're doing that, but. God forbid you um, forget to do it one year and all of a sudden you get hit with all the back taxes and when you fall out of land use, it, it can be pretty painful. Um, so it's something you know a, a realtor would help you manage when you bought a big piece of property, but it's just something to be aware of. Now, this land is in scenic easement, which guarantees you the agricultural rate, which is great and you don't have to file anything and life is good. Um, But even better than the fact it's in scenic easement is that whoever was convincing people, and this one's held by the Virginia Outdoor Foundation, but whoever was sort of convincing people to do it, not only did they convince the owners of this land to do it, but they convinced the owners of a 350-ish-acre farm to the north to put theirs in easement. Smart. And there must be um, – there, there must be six, 700 acres to the south that's also an easement and another couple big parcels uh, to the west that are in easement. So you've got this beautiful graysmill Mill Valley. Um, General Banks is just a little road off of it. Um, but you've got this beautiful Grays Mill Valley. And as you're driving along, what you're going to see is going to be there for your children, your grandchildren, your great grandchildren, because once it's an easement, it's guaranteed to stay there. Right now, the, there are some you know things to know about easements. Um, the biggest is they limit your subdivision potential. So, this 163 acres, you can divide it once. You can have two houses on it. Um, so, you know, if you were an investor coming in and thinking they were going to put up a thousand homes. Obviously, this isn't for you, but if you want to preserve the beauty of the landscape for, you know, everyone around you, and as I said before, you know, since everybody, not virtually everybody in this whole stretch of land, they've all done it, you're guaranteed that forever and ever you're going to have, the you know, this wild, open land, and it's really an amazing thing that everybody in the neighborhood went ahead and did it.
4: It's like you're, you're buying into a community of, of like-minded landowners who all appreciate the, the scenery, the land use, um, and, and value basically, the, the basic, the getaway and you,
2: you're, yeah, it's kind of secured. I mean, sort of like your previous caller, They're preserving the heritage mm-hmm. and you know, there, there's, when, when you, as a landowner, choose to put, you know, you do it out of the goodness of your heart in part. You also get tax credits. And there, sure. there, I mean, there's a benefit to the landowner um, to put it in easement. There's a benefit of it being an easement, the lower taxes I talked about. But really, it's you're giving back to everybody around you. Absolutely. Um, so this, this is a real neat piece of land. As I said, it started on the rapid, it starts on the Rapidan river. And then you've got nice, low, you know, bottom land. I've never seen it flooded, but you know, you're, you're in that bottom land and then it starts to go up and there's a nice little knoll and you can go around the old farmhouse, um, which has fallen down. I think you can look in the smoke house and find some other stuff. And there's a, um, the, uh, Gerald family had the farm in the you know late 1800s, early 1900s, and there's even an old little graveyard that you can explore. You know, and I think the last one is in like the 1915s, 1920s. So you know, there's just a rich history. Yeah, and then from there, the land starts to go up Blakey Ridge. And you can get all the way up to the top of Blakey Ridge, where there's an old fire road, um, and from you can actually a lot of people will ride horses on it, and you mm-hmm. can um, you can walk from there all the way to the other end of Blakey Ridge, and that actually puts you out right near the uh, Gray's Mountain Lodge, Actually, oh wow! So it, it's a it would be quite a hike up to the top, but it, sure, I mean, it, I, I've walked that road probably 30 times and never seen a soul on it. Mm. Um, but it's just this neat road that goes in the middle of nowhere. And as you know, back in the day they had fire towers and fire roads.
4: That's it. Yep. Yep.
2: So it, it, it's a, just a, a beautifully preserved little piece of history.
4: And it's, I, I love the, the kind of, if you will, the almost the atmosphere around that area. Um, and, and, and those immediate neighbors too. Again, you're, you're, kind of buying into an insured, peaceful, secluded getaway for, for a long time. There's only so much development that could happen in and around this area. Um so and and if you have neighbors that move out, again likely they're gonna get similar types of neighbors that have the same views as you do, um, and preserving that heritage and natural history of the property.
2: Yeah, and you know, the easement runs with the land. So mm-hmm. even if they I don't think anyone would ever buy in to those pieces of any of the parcels around it, or this one that didn't want that, but there is nothing that someone can do once the land is an easement. You know, the Virginia Outdoor Foundation in this scenario owns it. They they, yeah. they have control over what you know over the not over the land, but they it, they are the only ones that can say yes. You could break this up. Sure. And they're not you know, their goal is not to do that. Their goal is to preserve the land. And there's a lot of great uh, people that hold easements. The Piedmont Environmental Council is another fabulous easement holder. Um, It's really a fascinating um, thing to be go through the process of putting it in because you can really get some good tax credits off of it. Um, So you're doing good, but you're also you know doing something for yourself.
4: Certainly, certainly. Well, we certainly appreciate that that breakdown um, and you sharing your knowledge of of the Piedmont region in Virginia, which if you've never visited it, I know I'm biased, you're biased to it, but it really does um, just, it's beautiful. And uh, it's hard to do it justice on a podcast, but you just need to go and visit it. So how can they get a hold of you, um, Adam, if they're they're interested in this area property?
2: yeah um the easiest thing to do is go to our website it's sherry woodard c-h-e-r-i-w-o-o-d-a-r-d dot com um and you'll see all the properties we have in this area there's tons of things with just great stories and uh, history and it's just really a rich area It, it doesn't matter what you're interested in if it was um you know, the Revolutionary War, we had plenty of battles around here, and you can find old encampments. Um, if you, if it was, you know, Civil War, same thing. Um, just really a, a rich history, and, you know, go to SherryWooder.com and look around and give us a call. Our main number is 540-987-8500, and we'd be glad to share anything and everything about the area with you.
4: Well, we certainly appreciate sir. Thank you very much for your time.
2: Well, thank you.
4: You bet. Take care. All right. Bye. That's a wrap.
3: That is a heck of a wrap for the third for Love of the Land podcast. For sure, I think. Uh, I think it's uh, you know it's fun for us to just start clicking around and finding a piece of properties. They're like, Ooh, that's a really cool one. Let's highlight that. Let's yeah. see if we can get them on there. And that one's actually <laughs> not very far from where we chased mule deer this, yeah, uh, about this an hour. September.
4: The cool thing is, and I didn't, I didn't realize it until we really got talking with him. Um, but that property touched the city of Llewellyn that we drove through. Like we, yeah. we saw the property, didn't know we were seeing it, but, um, if I would, I would say, do yourself a favor, go check out the link there in the show notes because the pictures are incredible and the deer are incredible. Yep, on that property, and it's a gorgeous area, really unique.
3: Yes, very unique. And, and
4: like the sand hills are, are crazy. We spent time out there, uh, five days, six days, something like that, um, chasing some mule deer. Five we did a lot. Long of ch- days. <laughs> we did a lot of chasing. Um, bathed in a lake, but uh, I mean. It, Crazy, crazy kind of ecosystem. Rolling plains, sand hills, uh, just unique area. For sure, so, yeah. I love land. It's crazy. The, the if if you want to learn something crazy, or research something crazy. Look at the history of the sand hills. Just just do it. Research it, and your your mind will be blown. And
3: I think the north of Ogallala. North flat r- How far is it from Ogallala? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. where Claire Claire's at. That's right. Old Ocean Dove. That's right. Oh, man. Well, hopefully everybody enjoyed it. Merry Christmas to you and your family from Matt and I and the rest of the Land and Legacy team of Matt and I.
4: (laughs) (laughs) All of us here. Yes, all (laughs) of us here. (laughs) On the podcast. Yeah,
3: on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you guys
4: for listening, for sure. Hope you guys enjoyed
3: it, and we'll follow along next week. Who knows who we're going to have on? Anyone's guess. It's anyone's guess. We will catch you next week. See ya.